The following is a podcast from Ballin Entertainment. Hello, it's Craig Thompson, and this is the Stratford Slice. Stratford is known for the Stratford Festival, but it's also known for its great restaurants and culinary scene. Today, we meet the woman who helped ignite the food revolution. I'd like to welcome Eleanor Kane to the Stratford Slice. Eleanor, you came to Stratford in 1979 and opened a restaurant or a tea room, I guess it was at the time, called the Old Prune. And that one uh, pivotal moment started off a whole chain reaction of things. And today we see Stratford as one of the top culinary destinations in, in Canada. So it's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Craig. It's wonderful to be with you. Why on earth did you decide uh, you had no culinary experience whatsoever? Why did you decide, oh, I'm going to come to Stratford in 1979 and open a tea room? What was behind that idea? Well, <clears throat> there were a couple of things, Craig. Um, I and friends from Montreal used to uh, take the Via train uh, to Toronto and then rent a car and drive to Stratford for the Stratford Festival performances. That was the engine that, that, that really where it, where it all began. And um, the, um, the, the, it was also an era in Quebec, uh, famously known as the FLQ, when um, uh, businesses were leaving the city, major businesses leaving the city, and even smaller businesses. Uh, so the, 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 the city of Montreal was in turmoil, as was the province. And um, the, uh, the, the friend that I <clears throat> opened up the restaurant with, Marion Isherwood, her company, uh, she was the sort of uh, the chief, really, of the, of the office of, um, the, of American Management Association. And that company had made the decision to move to Toronto and wanted Marion to open the office there. And uh, she said, I have no interest in living in Toronto. Um, but um, so anyway, this kind of idea culminated in, in the two of us saying, well, why don't we give it a go in Stratford? And um, we thought maybe we'd you know, do something in Stratford for a year or two, depending on how it went, and uh, two or three years. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, it, you know, the, the idea just took off, which, you know, became the history. <laughs> so you were two women in your late 20s, early 30s, when you decided to start this dream. Yes, yes, in our, in our 30s. And, uh, um, you know, it was, there was no reason not to try something. Um, I think... Probably most Montrealers were, you know, out there looking at what else can I do because of the, this turmoil, particularly in the English uh, sector. You wanted to escape, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. Why not try it and and see what comes of it, right? Yes, I mean, part of my escape was the work that I was doing uh, as a psychologist. I worked with a, um, um, a facility that uh, dealt with children with um, disabilities. And uh, I was the psychologist on the team uh, looking to 
uh, work with the parents of these children to help them, uh, you know, guide their guide their children in getting over or at least dealing with these disabilities. And it was very interesting work. I <clears throat> I was very happy with it, with the work. But I just reached a point where I thought, you know what? I need a break because I'd gone from a similar facility uh, previous to that doing the same kind of work, and I I hadn't really had you know a holiday, a decent long holiday. So I thought uh, I need to I need to take a break from it. So that was that sort of tied in also with this idea of moving to uh, Stratford. So it was taxing on you. You're asking the question: Do I want to do this kind of thing for the rest of my life? I want to do something that's that I enjoy, or perhaps is a less less a burden. Like you absorb that when you're doing psychology, you absorb some of the the trauma and the challenges of some of the people you're dealing with. That's that's very uh, uh, very true. Um, I I loved the work. I loved working with with these children, but it drains you. It's uh, it's very demanding. Um, and I, I wasn't necessarily wanting to step away from it. I just knew I needed a break. I needed to kind of refresh myself, let's say, but, but taking at least six months uh, living somewhere else, you know. And, uh, and so you mentioned the train and friends coming to Stranford, but mm-hmm. did you and Marion look at the map and say, okay, we're going to put ourselves here? Like, was it the theater? Was it friends who were here? How did you decide on, oh, let's try Stratford for a while? Well, it was partly friends. Um, um, we met Eric Donkin in uh, Montreal, and um, you know he was a big name with the Stratford Festival in those years. And uh, he, you know he would tell these very amusing stories. And uh, um, uh, uh, you know, so we we had uh, we had some connection. And of course, Marion coming from from England. I mean, she was immersed in Shakespeare and and uh, and in theater. And so it that was part of the draw. When I grew up in Stratford, I could probably count the restaurants uh, on one hand. Like people didn't go in the post-war era, people really only started going out for dinner. I remember that my father telling me he can't remember any time in his childhood apart from one or twice once or twice going out to a restaurant in the 1940s or, or, or 30s. Uh, in Stratford, uh, we had uh, a steakhouse downtown. We had, uh, of course, McDonald's and the fast food outlets, pizzerias, and the in the taverns, there was a food service on some of the uh, other um, uh, parts of the building, like the Queen's Hotel, but there really wasn't a... And when the Stratford Festival started, the church ladies had to serve lunch and dinner in the church basements because there was nowhere, <laughs> right. no, nowhere to eat. So 1979, there had already started to be a little bit of activity in the food. What, what greeted you? How barren was the landscape when you arrived in 1979? Well, <clears throat> even uh, before 1979, when we would make these trips to Stratford, um, we usually uh, would eat somewhere else. Um, we might see a play and get back on the train and, you know, eat in Toronto. Or, you know, we would uh, uh, look for, you know, some place that was, but it, it was pretty desperate. It was desperate. Uh, so we knew that there was certainly an opportunity, and uh, that's what we kind of 
went with. Coming from Montreal, so Montreal would have had a restaurant scene, so you would have seen, you know, the kind of things that's possible in a larger town. What was happening in society at, uh, at, in the 1970s that possibly created more of an opportunity for the restaurant industry that people were saying, well, let's eat out once a week or let's serve the tourists. What was going on sort of in, in society at the time that made the restaurant industry, the timing was right? Well, um, let me just think about that because in, in Montreal, the our family <clears throat> moved from Edmonton to Montreal. My father had... Uh, uh, a position, a, a very good job in, in Montreal. And uh, my parents loved to cook. They, they loved to entertain. That's how I grew up. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, when we got to Montreal, my father was so excited with all the restaurants. He took the family. I'm one of six siblings. <laughs> he <clears throat> took the family to all these, you know, restaurants in old Montreal and so on. And he he was uh, just so inspired by the cooking, and uh, so we kind of adopted, uh, you know, the the cuisine of Montreal, the cuisine of Quebec as much as we could, uh, and I think that was at the roots for just wanting a bigger, uh, a broader experience in in the restaurant scene here in Stratford. And you didn't take on something too ambitious uh, because of Marion's background. You said, let's open a tea room. So the two of you actually were working in the kitchen. Is that how the, the old prune started? Um, well, we were rotated. Um, one week I would be in the kitchen and Marion would be front of house. And then it went vice versa. But certainly the idea of a tea room uh, was Marion's idea. Um, and it, it comes very much from that British tradition. So not only <clears throat> would we be making scones and cakes, Marion was a wonderful, you know, uh, uh, pastry cook, uh, but all of the china, the china was Royal Dalton china, which cost a fortune. <laughs> uh, but, we, uh, you know, Marion said, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it the way, you know, one would expect. Um, so the Royal Dalton china, uh, covered tables, you know, with, with tablecloths, many of which she made. And uh, so it was it, it was kind of drawing on her creativity. And, uh, yeah. So back in 1979, when you opened the Old Prune, this British tea room, what was the initial reaction from visitors to Stratford and perhaps those who were living here? Well, <clears throat> it's very amusing because <clears throat> Eric Donkin lived on Albert Street, the same street as, as the restaurant, and he would come down, uh, walking down to, uh, into town, and he would say, Now, girls, don't make too much food because, you know, in Stratford, they won't come. Um, so he kept warning us, and so we, we were sort of cautious. <laughs> but the day that we opened, um, that we'd, we'd sent some flyers around and stuff to let people know, the day that we opened, there was a lineup down Albert Street. And we went, oh my dear, how, how and so we, we, we had to just like ramp up the cooking ever so quickly because, you know, there was a lineup and there kept being a lineup, you know, so it was a small, it was, I forget how many tables there might have been. Um, <clears throat> we could only handle so many people, but there was 
there was great demand. So it really said something to us that people, at, at least the visitors coming to Stratford for theater, um, would appreciate what we were doing. And that that certainly held true. And just before, the year before, the what was then known as the Church Restaurant, uh, also with a British connection, opened in Stratford. So we had to rely on people from overseas to see the, the future <laughs> of, apart from yourself, of course. But yeah, the, the, the church was your neighbor. Over, yes, uh, along the same, uh, within the same block. And uh, <clears throat> Joe, uh, Joe Mandel, the owner, uh, came for our opening, um, our opening day. And I'll never forget, he walked, he walked uh, into the hallway and he said, God bless you too. In other words, you know, thank goodness somebody else is sort of t taking this risk and isn't it wonderful? Um, and uh, Joe remained ever so supportive of us, you know, for the years that he remained in, in the business. He sold the restaurant, as you know. Um, but at the <clears> time, it was the only fine dining establishment in Stratford. Yes, yeah. very much so. And, uh, and then uh, Rundles opened the same year as us. Um, they opened in, I think, in July. We opened in, in May. And uh, so within one year, Stratford was now home to three, you know, aspiring restaurants. Yeah. When did you make the shift from a tea room to a restaurant? Well, <clears throat> the tea room, it was afternoon tea. Then we added lunch lunch and afternoon tea within that same year. And towards the end of that season, really, uh, we, we thought, we'll just add a one-pot dinner. And, it, you know, things, it, people just kept coming, you know. Um, and uh, so then that next year, we, we uh, you know, tried to advance the cooking um, as best we could. We had, we had uh, some good people working with us. How much do you credit the timing of all these restaurants <coughs> opening in Stratford to Robin Phillips' tenure and the fact that he brought over some big stars from the UK? Did that uh, really help in drawing new people to Stratford who might not have been paying attention before? Oh, I think most definitely. Um, you know, the... the Robin's era was so electric; it it just electrified on so many levels. And um, the you know the actors, uh, you know, the the likes of Maggie Smith, the likes of Peter Ustinov, um, etc. Um, you know, were I mean they were huge names, and and uh, you know I think it was it was part of the magic for sure, a big part. <laughs> So uh, one of the um, inspiring offshoots of your tea room experiment is something today known as the Stratford Chef School, which is known as one of the top culinary schools in all of uh, North America. You send, uh, or the school sends graduates all over the world, all over North, North America. But it started in the off season in your restaurant. Tell us about that. Why did you start a chef school? Well, <clears throat> it started with 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 the three restaurants actually, uh, the Old Prune, Rundles, and the Church Restaurant. How it, I think for me the one of the uh, the key moments was 
the three of us got a phone call, or maybe yeah, it was probably a phone call, from the man who was the head of Canada Manpower, as it was then known. Uh, his name was uh, John Evans. And the question he put to the three of us is, why are you bringing workers from overseas, from England, from France, to Stratford? To work in your to kitchens. To work in the kitchens. Yeah. What is wrong with the, you know, the, the training, the cooking training in our country? Anyway, so he uh, brought us together and we talked. We explained to him, you know, what is required, you know, to reach the standards that the three of us were, were aiming for. We needed, we needed trained people. Be, the, the season was brief. It's a matter of, you know, five to six months of, uh, of the year. And we needed to, to uh, <clears throat> you know, have as, as qualified people as possible. His response was, if you um, write the program that you think is appropriate for training, I will find the money and he did just that. We did our part, and John came. He lobbied with the uh, with the with the government, and he found the channels to support the the work that we were going to do. So the expat uh, chefs would be the teachers, and the Canadian students would be the students in those initial years. Correct. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it was a it was a good model for that reason. Um, because the people that the trained people working in our kitchens then had virtually year-round occupation. So, what when you spoke to uh, John Evans, what did you say was wrong or missing? Did we even have culinary programs in Canada at the time? Um, we didn't. We didn't really have any formal training. There were a few uh, offshoots at the time. I don't remember the names of any of them, but. Um, it was not considered a trade. Uh, it was It was sort of a kind of on the sideline. Yet, yeah, well, yeah, you can you can be a cook, but that doesn't take very much. Everybody knows how to you know make a soup. Ha ha ha. Um, <clears throat> and uh, there was no sophistication to the training. There was no you know deep understanding of of cuisine and gastronomy. And so the school went on for how many years, uh, jumping between the different restaurants? How long did you keep that format going? Oh, for a number of years. When um, was it, I think it was in about 20... Well, first of all, um, Joe sold his restaurant. I believe that was in 1984, 85. Um, and uh, so it was the two restaurants, Rundle's and the Old Prune, and... Uh, that really lasted well into, I think it was 2014 or, yeah. So the school started uh, how many years after you opened the Old Prune? So what year, do you remember what year you started the school? Oh, yes. Um, it was 1980, 82, 83 was our first. 83 was our first graduate. Uh, so about four years. And how small was it back then? Oh, it was, it was well... How many it, students? <clears throat> there might have been... Uh, we started with about 24, I think, 24, 25. And then it grew, you know, to 50, 50 to 60 students. Um, and uh, so it, 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 it grew gradually. So uh, today, the Stratford Chef School has a major pre presence on Ontario Street, Stratford's Main Street. 
Um, how did uh, the momentum build up to the point where you were able to build or occupy a permanent structure, not the back uh, kitchen of the restaurants? Well, um, I think that the, the sort of background research that we had done and uh, to um, to place the school in the in the right sort of environment, and we also researched deeply the the, the kind the the curriculum, how we could build the curriculum to aim high, to aim t- to match the best the best restaurants in 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 Europe, in in Canada, in North America, and we had. Uh, we consulted with a culinary school in Vermont, for example. We went, Jim and I spent, uh, you know, three or four days with this culinary school, which was highly regarded, and, you know, got information and ideas from them, how they dealt with things. And uh, so we, we gradually, I think, built the curriculum to a level that, that would mean that these young people could step out of, you know, the, the Stratford Chef School and find work, certainly across North America. Many of them went to Europe, if only for six months or a year, and came back with that, that training, that learning. Um, yeah. If I'm deciding to go to George Brown Culinary School in Toronto versus the Stratford Chef School, how would you say the Stratford Chef School is different than other culinary arts programs? Well, <clears throat> I think that I mean George Brown is a very good uh, a culinary school, um, and has trained a lot of a lot of uh, young cooks and that that have done well. I think the difference was that of scale, because we were able with a <clears throat> with a smaller group of people, let's say fifty or sixty students, to uh, really immerse them into cooking and gastronomy so the the idea that you know knowing uh, uh, knowing and understanding the gastronomy of of the world really the <coughs> the, the you know the history th- that's behind what you know what became these uh, amazing dishes and so on that was all we were all we were able to add that to the curriculum which i think was different from most culinary schools was George Brown uh, culinary program in existence when you started the chef school, or was it just starting? Do you know? No, I think it had been in existence because uh, our our chef <coughs> Brian Steele, who who um, joined us in the, in the late eighties, he was a he was uh, a graduate of George Brown College. He was in the same class uh, as Jamie Kennedy. And uh, so it, th- there was certainly very good training going on, but <clears throat> the aspirations may not have been the same. What role do you think uh, the Stratford Chef School and its graduates have had on, I'll call it the culinary revolution, because these graduates don't necessarily just stay in Stratford. They go all over the place. So what, what contribution do you think uh, the Chef School made to the world of uh, this booming world of restaurants that we're in today. Well, I, I brought along with me, Craig, uh, <clears throat> what's called the Stratford Culinary Tree. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, the roots are the three restaurants, and then the offspring are all of the, um, you know, uh, 
the the restaurants that I think benefited from um, uh, from the training and the and the skills of graduates coming out of the chef school. And so it it, it you know to me it to me it's a very good uh, a very good symbol. And even beyond Stratford, because we have many restaurants in across Canada and around the world, where your graduates tell us a little bit about the, right. your star graduates and where they might have ended up. Well, um, many of them, uh, a, a number of them, ended up working in Europe for different uh, different restaurants, different uh, different chefs, because those chefs had come to Stratford. And um, so we had a program of international guest chefs, and uh, you know some of the, the 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 very famous ones, people like like uh, Jacques Chibois, Alexandre Gautier, both from France, um, uh, Riccardo <coughs> Camenini from Italy. Riccardo came to uh, to teach for a week at the chef school, and he had such impact on the students and he had so much fun he said I would be available next year if I could come back well he came back as an instructor and so he became part of the faculty and so you know there was I don't know it's hard to explain it Craig but there was a magic there that that really helped to sustain the school and so the students as well as the instructors helped spread the word so there's this school in Stratford, and you should check it out. Like it, it became well known across the culinary world, I suppose. Yes, it did. I think also in the food movement, there were some very important um, the food movement in Canada. Um, there was uh, the uh, there was uh, some very pivotal uh, individuals who who were were doing wonderful work and. Uh, you know, I was part of a uh, of a group of uh, mainly women who, um, um, you know, were were champion championing uh, Canadian cuisine, and uh, and also telling the stories. So so um, you know, people like um, Alison Fryer, who ran the cookbook store in Toronto, um, Elizabeth Baird, iconic. Now Elizabeth is. Uh, uh, a Stratford-born uh, uh, woman, and so this idea of a, of a chef school uh, uh, for her was was just number one, and she was very very supportive with us. Um, other people, uh, you know, like uh, Nada Ristich, who was uh, who was with uh, the Bank of Montreal. You know, she was on the chef school board for uh, several years and helped you know, on the finance end. So it was a wonderful collaboration of, uh, you know, food lovers from across the country. You're listening to The Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. Check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. And now, back to the show. When you talk, Eleanor, about the food revolution, Take us back to the early 1980s and what was considered, you know, out there and what we have today. What were tastes like and was there a lot of education that had to be done on the general eating public, I suppose, on, on trying new things? Just refresh our memory on, on how different maybe food and restaurants were in the 19, early 1980s. You can remember the menus back well, then. Well, <laughs> um, I think the, I, I think 
the food re revolution at the time was was largely influenced by the cuisines of of Europe. Um, not so much further east. Not, not you. You didn't find Asian cuisine coming into restaurant menus, but um, the, you know, the the those basic dishes. And having come from Montreal, I mean, there was no better uh, cookbook than Madame Benoit, <laughs> and uh, the um, uh, and and then also people like Julia Child, you know, who was you know. She lived in Europe, worked in Europe, and then came back to the U.S. and and uh, had a, a wonderful um, a wonderful career there. So it was a sort of a culmination of those things. But but then things started to change. I think probably because of immigration. Uh, you know, not just in Canada, but but uh, people were all over the world were moving from place to place, and so. Um, it, it just became more interesting and and more demanding for for chefs. We've seen we've just come through two years of a pandemic where uh, most people would agree that the restaurant sector was probably the hardest to hit uh, hospitality in general, but restaurants in particular. Um, it's such a challenging low margin business isn't it it's it you have to be passionate about it to be in it is it would you say that very much so very much so it's um, the margins are 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 very slim and the work is hard the hours are long the you know the atmosphere can be very very tense very electric um, but you know the offset is the clientele and the reactions that they have. I mean, in Stratford, I would say, you know, those the, those three restaurants, the clientele became like friends. They helped. They, you know, um, supported in 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 many ways. And uh, so we we were backed up by by people that that you know were were just immensely immensely helpful. Television celebrity chefs like Gordon Ramsay helped perpetuate the, the myth, or perhaps it's not a myth, but the, 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 the chef is like a general in an army, and you have to be very, very direct. Do you think that's changing now, that there's more uh, a softer approach in the kitchens? Do you think that was one issue that people complained about in, in, in the service industry working in a restaurant, that you know, I'm getting burned out so quickly because I just can't stand the pressure. Is that something the chef school helps with graduates to manage uh, the work environment? Um, it's a it's a good point that you're raising. I think the the Gordon Ramsay thing was a lot of, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of kind of you know uh, bullying that went on. Um, uh, you know, we. I certainly witnessed some of that, but not not towards me, but but watching the industry. Um, I think the, you know, I think the understanding of the complexity, what is demanded and required from your your staff, from from you know the chefs in the kitchen, is much more fully understood. Um, the place of women in the industry is also changing. There are. There are many more opportunities for women to 
move up the ladder in in the kitchen and you know there are great great women chefs uh you know around the world um but that took that took some change what about at the front of house the pandemic uh resulted in a lot of people leaving the industry because of insecurity there's also been a lot of talk about how tips are managed and, and sharing what do you think the restaurant industry in general has done a, a massive reflection over the last couple of years and is now emerging and will will uh, approach uh, the business management in a different way? What do you see happening? Uh, well, I see that very directly. Um, one of the uh, one of the people that served on the chef school board for years, uh, Ryan Donovan, who's co-owner of Richmond Station in Toronto, which is a very successful restaurant. Ryan was pre-pandemic. Uh, he and his partner were were working to modify the tip arrangement within their restaurant, and they actually put that in place before the pandemic. That that the tip, uh, you know, would would not go to individual servers that wouldn't pocket that money. The tip went into a pool that became part of, of the, a, a shared thing. So some went into the kitchen, some went to management, etc. cetera. Um, and uh, now I think tips are more commonly uh, in, in, in better restaurants. They're, they're included in the bill. So there's automatic tipping that happens, which uh, kind of levels the, uh, the the field. Does the industry though need a code of best practices that's that's across the the board, or is it really up to the individual entrepreneurs to say this is how I'm going to treat my employees, this is how I'm going to run my business? Well, <clears throat> to my to uh, you know to my knowledge, there there is no such uh, system in place. Um, I think it's it's coming about perhaps slowly because of individual restaurants or perhaps movement within restaurant communities, um, to my knowledge anyway. What's the biggest problem facing restaurants right now uh, as we come out of the pandemic? Is it the front of house staffing? Is it What do you think the issues are if you were running a restaurant today? Well, I think it's it, it's certainly um, staffing is is huge, and uh, I I don't really know what the solutions are. I haven't I haven't uh, I haven't uh, seen anything written about it in 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 that detail. Uh, it's um, you know it's it's an industry that's so unique. Uh, you know, if you if you have a day job. You know, you have hours, and you know you'll get probably home by five or six o'clock, and you have time with your family, etc. Well, the restaurant industry has never been like that, as you know, and so I, you know, I'm not, I'm not really totally there in in what could happen, but um, I, I have hopes in, you know, the likes of of, of Ryan at uh, Richmond Station and other chefs that they are, th- they are becoming the engines of change. Um, I know here in uh, in Stratford, people like uh, Larry Larry McCabe, McCabe at Pazzo, that they're working on a system to, you know, uh, even things out for for their workers. What about the rising cost of food? Uh, how concerned are you about that? Well, that's a huge that's a huge issue. So the margins become even slimmer in in the industry. So it's 
the cost of food, access to, you know, the products that they need. It's all this supply chain that has has uh, stalled and and is very slowly coming around. We talked about the role the chef school has played in influencing the culinary industry, but the other thing that's happened over the last 20 or 30 years is the local food movement. Um, Tell me what the unexpected influence of the chef school and the restaurants have had on Stratford as an agricultural hub, because there's some interesting things happening in farming. Well, um, certainly the the slow food movement has has uh, impacted in our community amongst uh, the restaurants and also the providers, the food, uh, the people that grow the food. Um, the likes of uh, Soiled Reputation, Anthony John and, and Tina Vandenhuvel. I mean, they were they have been leaders in um, uh, in insisting on uh, on on you know local food, and um, it reminds me of um, our chef for for thirty years at the restaurant was Brian Steele, and uh, Brian. Um, you know, he did his studies at uh, George Brown College, and he told this story that that he and Jamie would uh, run out and make sure they they got some fresh double cream that wasn't uh, you know hadn't been sitting for too long. So they kind of brought in some ingredients that they thought you know would enhance the the dishes that they were making. Um, so I think the you know I think this area. Uh, you know, Stratford and and Perth County should be very proud of the the efforts they they have made, the farmers have made, to bring their products to, uh, you know, to market products to the restaurants directly. And that has also helped change consumer habits because consumers, by and large, are now going to the larger supermarkets and expecting to know where their food comes from. You will buy uh, Ontario strawberries over. California strawberries, you, they, the supermarkets are going out of their way to identify, this is grown in your area. Yes, yes. They recognize that, that and that in, in, in part is, can be traced back to the restaurants and the demands of the chefs. That's right, that's right. Incredible. Yeah. Where do you think we're going uh, now in the restaurant industry? Some people think that we're in a little bit of the Wild West in the restaurant. There's a new restaurant popping up in every corner every week. Some of them, I think the studies say the average restaurant doesn't last more than one or one or two years. There's a lot of restaurants opening. Do you think there are too many restaurants right now? Well, if we're speaking of Stratford, uh, I don't have a sense that there are too many restaurants or, or restaurants that are you know, opening for like just a year. Um, I think the the turmoil or the upheaval that's 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 uh, been largely driven by COVID is is um, it it hasn't even begun to settle. So I'm, I mean, I think it's wonderful that you know people are coming back to the Stratford Festival to you know, which is a an engine of of uh, uh, <coughs> driving commerce, um, but how that you know how that really impacts the the restaurants and what how they're doing. I'm n- I'm not really sure. I don't 
have an answer to that question, Craig. One of the things, though, the chef school teaches is it's not just about what goes on in the kitchen. I've been to some of the dinners that the chef school holds, and it's a lot about customer service and presentation and how the customer uh, relationship has. Do you think that is something that the industry really needs not to ignore? It's not just the food that goes on the plate. It's the way that it's presented. And how is that front of house experience changing? Because obviously many people who open restaurants, sometimes they think, oh, let's just make the food good and without thinking of the experience. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as a, a concern that you think more restaurants should be really focused on that customer experience? Well, having come from that tradition, well, of course, I think it's important. And I think that more emphasis should be made. Um, every now and then I'm sitting at a, at a dinner table, at a restaurant table with either a graduate of the school or someone that I worked with in the school and something happens or doesn't happen in front of house and you go, hmm, that wouldn't happen in the, st- <laughs> in, in, in the Stratford Chef School. So the students are, the, that training continues and I hope it never shifts away from the emphasis on front of house. Um, you know, I, I look through notes from years ago and s- look at photographs of students, uh, you know, in their chef school jacket, which is a classic um, uh, uh, ex- executive chef jacket, just the whole, the whole build of it. And I look at them and I think, you know, that's so special because we really emphasize that, that, you know, we're, you're dealing with the public. You're not just behind the scenes. You have to understand in your restaurant that you, you, you have to know how to welcome people. You have to know how to solve problems at the table. You need to, um, we need to gain their respect, you know, on the, on the person to person front. You need to tie into your psychology experience that you had w- earlier on. What People come to restaurants for different reasons, but are you able to sort of pin down customer profiles? Why do people go to a particular restaurant, or what are the motivations for sitting down and having a meal outside of the house? Well, I, I think, uh, Craig, intrinsically, uh, the joy of experiencing the quality of, of, of a dish, the, the, the inspiration that, that comes from a dish, um, is I th- that's <coughs> never going to change. And I think that is, that's an anchor. That's, that's the, 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 the core of what uh, can make a, a restaurant successful. So I th- think that, um, you know, a, a I don't see that disappearing. Um, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. Where do you think the restaurant industry is going uh, right now in terms of the types of food uh, on offer? Are we into a period where we're in a st- stable period, uh, or do you think there'll be a lot more change to come? Well, I think change will continue um, <clears throat> uh, because, you know, the whole demographic of the world is changing. You know, people are moving from place to place. There, we can expect, I believe, more uh, 
just a, a, a broader cuisine, uh, new dishes coming in from different uh, 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 different countries. Um, so, uh, and I think that if if the cooking is is fantastic, if the cooking is wonderful, you you've probably got yourself like seventy percent ahead uh, in in success because. If, if the cooking isn't good, well, the people are not going to come back. If you can add on to that, you know, the, um, the, the kind of understanding and respect that the client needs and, uh, and, and the joy that, you know, that comes from that experience. So the chef school, the Stratford Chef School, is coming up on an anniversary, uh, if not already. So 40, 40 years? Uh, n- 45 years uh, n- next year. So we're almost there, 45 years. <laughs> when you think about that, what uh, all started with this tea room? Like, how do you, what, what do you look back on? <laughs> well, um, I, you know, I, can, I don't count the years because it makes me feel very old, and I am very old. But I, you know, I'm, I'm very, very proud of the work of the chef school. I'm very supportive of... Um, of that work, and um, you know, I I hope it doesn't I hope it doesn't change. I hope it doesn't uh, I hope it grows and flourishes. And what role are you playing with the Chef School now? Uh, I'm on a uh, an advisory committee, which is uh, a sort of an adjunct to the board. Uh, we do, we meet perhaps four times a year, and uh, you know there might be issues coming up that we would examine and make suggestions or help where we can. The other thing that I am involved with uh, that um, I think has been a, a very unique arm of the training is something called the Gastronomic Writer in Residence, and that program has been running. Uh, uh, for a very long time, uh, I think probably 2012 was the first year, and so we we bring every year a, a, a food writer to Stratford, and they spend two weeks with the students, helping them learn how to tell their story, because that's also part of success in the industry. You have to you have to tell your story. You have to be able to engage people with the the whys and the hows, and um, so these food writers that I've, I've written down some of the names, like people like Ian Brown, who has who worked with the Globe and Mail for decades, um, Adam Gopnik, James Chatto. Um, uh, we had uh, most recently this wonderful character Bob Bloomer. Um, he was recommended to us by Elizabeth Baird, who's known him for a number of years. And he was like a huge hit with the students. I mean, he's, it's sort of, I call it a bit funky, his cooking, but it's, but there's such joy in it. And uh, the students just, they just, they just adored this man. So it's, you know, and he's, he's a a great cook, but he's also a food writer. So there's another arm of, uh, you know, of, of the industry. When you sit down for a meal at a restaurant, what kind of food do you enjoy? Um, 
well, I must say I'm I'm uh, I'm very fond of uh, of French cuisine. Um, I I like I like I like food to be fairly simple, not overly you know embellished or dressed or, um, but I like that I like that freshness of of food, um, and um, and there's lots of different ways of kind of making that happen. So given your network of restaurants and chefs, no matter where you go, you probably will find a, a table that uh, is ready for you. Is that uh, what you do and you're able to sort of experience a lot of uh, different restaurants or do you stay at home and cook for yourself largely? Oh, I love to travel and I love to, you know, there's always a list of restaurants wherever, I, wherever, wherever I'm going. Many of them, like certainly in Canada, would be ones where there's a graduate and so I, I i i so love going to their restaurants um haven't been able to do it for you know about three years now but uh uh and the same traveling in europe you know there are chefs that you know were were so so uh, iconic in our time at the school so i i love to visit them well, congratulations on all the the work you've done and thank you for as someone who goes to restaurants often not just in Stratford, but all over the place. Uh, perhaps uh, your influence or the influence of the Stratford Chef School has rubbed off well beyond uh, Stratford. So uh, thanks, Eleanor, for sitting down today, and great to have this chat with you. It's been a pleasure, Craig. Thank you. You've been listening to The Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. For more episodes, check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. The Stratford Slice is produced by Ballinran Entertainment, Southwestern Ontario's number one digital media studio. If you have a great story to tell and want to be on the podcast, please reach out to us through our website, thestratfordslice.com.